Episode 241, Jazzy Collins, Emmy-nominated casting director for reality shows. My favorite mistake was me actually leaving the industry and trying something new. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about Jazzy and her work, look for links in the show notes or go to markraven.com slash mistake 241. As always, thanks for listening. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven. Our guest today is Jazzy Collins. She is a casting director. She holds the honor of being the first Black two-time Emmy nominee in the Outstanding Reality Casting category. So Jazzy has worked for hit reality shows, including Lizzo's Watch Out for the Big Girls, The Circle, The Traitors, The Bachelor, and The Bachelorette family or fiancé, and Love Island. So beyond that work, Jazzy has been at the forefront of uh, the movement calling for diversity and inclusion in the entertainment industry. And she's been featured or published in publications, including Deadline, E! News, ET Canada, Women's Health, and more. So with that, Jazzy, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I am good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. How are you doing? (laughs) I'm doing great. I'm excited um, to have uh, this conversation um, of of the different shows that you've been a part of. Um, as as people might remember, um, I had a previous guest, Zach Waddell, in episode 214, who was a contestant on The Bachelorette. And I, I guess that is, is that is that the right word to say contestant or yeah, contestant. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> um, so we talked a, a little bit about that. We might get well, I know we'll we'll get to hear um Jazzy's perspectives um, on, uh, you know, what goes on behind the scenes and, and and getting people onto shows like that. So we'll we'll come back to that a little bit later. Um, I do have to ask, and I, I hope it's not a mistake to do so, is Jazzy a given name or a nickname? It's a nickname, but I haven't gone by my full name, which is Jasmine, my government name, um, since, gosh, I was like 10. So like, it's kind of, you know, it's been my name forever. And I actually thought about changing my name to Jazzy like legally, but I just never actually ended up doing it. So it's okay. <laughs> so you so you got that nickname as is a girl. Was it because of music or dancing or both? I, I danced. I did dance. Yeah. Um it was I danced for gosh about 15, 16 years and I was competitive dancing. So I was traveling across the country doing jazz, tap, lyrical ballet, just about everything you can name it. And jazzy kind of just fit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, cool. Well, I I guess not a mistake to ask that. I guess that worked out okay. (laughs) No, that was not a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So on the topic of mistakes, though, I know you're prepared to to answer the question we always start off with here um, of, you know, the different things you've done professionally, jazzy, what would you say is your favorite mistake? My favorite mistake was me actually leaving the industry and trying something new for six months. Um, 
that. <laughs> so tell us about that. Yeah. So I started, you know, I've been doing casting for well over 10 years by this point. And, um, you know, things were slowing down in the industry. I was just having a kid and, you know, a lot of things were going through my mind of like, what should I do next? I feel like I don't really have a upward trajectory that I was looking to find. Um, I think it's because, you know, I, I had that Emmy nomination. I was like, okay, well, we're fine. Like, there's nothing really more to this. Um, so I tried something new by doing digital talent management. So I worked with a firm um, and I thought it was very similar to casting in that you were working with talent here in day in and day out, but it's a little bit different in that you're actually managing their career. Um, working with digital creators is a completely different beast. It's, you know, making sure people are hitting, you know, um, all of their deadlines when it comes to a lot of their, you know, videos that they're doing. A lot of the people that I were working with was TikTok influencers. Um, so it was overall a very interesting world to be in. But then I realized while I was there was this was not my space. You know, um, it was not something that I ever saw myself ever trying or doing. And I actually learned that, you know, I don't actually work really well in a space that is so strict. And the thing about casting, you have a lot more fluidity and there's none of that in management side. Um, it's either, you know, do or die, you're making mistakes, then you're out. And that was not the world I ever wanted to live in. So it was a mistake for me to leave the industry for a little bit. Um, you know, I had to build back up all of my contacts because they all thought I was done. Um, and now, you know, I, I came back and I'm doing better than ever, but it took yeah, a minute. Okay. Well, good. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear, um, you know, the, the kind of the end, the end for now, the end of the story for now of, of, of things going well. But um, yeah, gosh, there's, a, I think, uh, a lot we could dig into, though. You know, I appreciate yeah. you telling the story there. Um, tell us a little bit. Um, I'm curious because. Like I'm, I'm an engineer from the Midwest. You're working in the entertainment industry in LA. Very different worlds. Like yeah. I don't, I don't know the entertainment world. And you know, like to me, the word casting. I mean, this is going to be a really nerdy technical thing. Like casting is like making metal parts of like you know pouring molten metal. Yes. Yeah. Diff, diff, totally different thing, right? So you might ask, well, how does anyone get into that as a, as as a career? How how does one get into um, casting? in yeah. the entertainment industry like do do you start off wanting to be in front of the camera you talk about being a performer or how like how how do you get into that <laughs> well my story is a lot different from most other people's stories i thought i wanted to be a producer so i was already working on set um and i was working on a commercial um and then i realized i hate being on set i hate being there for 12 hours 14 hour days on my feet um and then afterwards i went in for a office pa position so production assistant position and it turns out that you know that ended up getting taken i didn't have that as an opportunity for me to get that job but they said hey do you have any interest in doing casting and I was like sure I need a job so I took it um and casting assistant was like my first step into casting and I absolutely loved it um and that's why I'm still here today but I do know that you know there's two different ways for casting and I think people need to know that like there's obviously the scripted surge uh, side of it or you can do the unscripted side so I predominantly work on the unscripted side 
Okay. Okay. So we'll 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 come back and explore um yeah how some of that works and, and what you experienced and, and went through there. So um you, you mentioned like looking for an upward trajectory. You went from being a casting assistant to I guess you work in casting. CSA is a casting society. Casting Society of America. Yeah. So that's like a collective of casting directors and associates and producers um, that. Yeah. (laughs) So then, I mean, uh, they're like reading about some of your experiences. Again, we'll come back to this more. I think, you know, with with the bachelor or the bachelorette, there is like a casting director. I guess the casting people report up to is casting director kind of then like the top of. The food chain, I guess, in, in that profession? Yeah, correct. So you have the casting director underneath that, you have a casting producer, you have an associate, and then you have an assistant. And that's usually how it works for the unscripted side. So I guess, you know, trajectories could be moving up to bigger, more successful shows or, or award-winning, and then maybe, do, do people ever move then from casting into other producer-type roles if they're looking yeah. to do something different? Yeah, I think, you know, you can cap out a casting director if you want to do casting, but you have the ability to, you know, be in-house somewhere. So you can work at a production company um, or you can work directly with network as, you know, VP of talent. That would be an upward trajectory, but those are very few and far between. Um, Or you can have your own company. Um, Those are so far, that's basically the upward trajectory. But some people also move into the development side where they'll develop their own shows, they'll cast their own shows, and then they'll sell it, uh, which is kind of what I'm doing now. <laughs> so then like, how far into that digital talent management job did you start at least having an inkling of like, oh, maybe this is a mistake, right? Because that can be hard to admit. Or do you think like, do I just do I need to stick with it? Yeah. When do you decide? Can you tell us about some of that thought process? Yeah, I would say it was about three months in, I realized it wasn't for me. Um, The culture was not my favorite. It was very frat bro culture, the best way to put it. Um, It was run by two men and, um, you know, they weren't really open to having a lot more opinions in the room. And as someone as very outspoken as myself, you know, that obviously I butt heads very easily with that. Um, But then I also realized there wasn't an upward trajectory there either. When you're a talent manager, you're just a talent manager and you just have larger clients and that's it. So right then and there, I was like, okay, I'm in the same boat that I thought I was getting out of. um, So why did I do that? Why did I jump ship? So there's that cultural, mm, yeah, similar (laughs) cultural dynamic. And and, I mean, when you say frat bro, I hear white. Is that Yes, yes. Okay. It was yeah. <laughs> um probably everybody else was too, but just to, <laughs> to to confirm or check that. So I'm like, I'm curious, like were were you working with um, you know, digital talent, um people who are black, people of color? Was that something that you were kind of looking to help um w- you know, work with talents where where you could, you know, try to help create better opportunities for them, or you kind of worked with who you got assigned to? Yeah, when I first got there, I had the ability to just basically take over a roster that they gave to me. Um, You know, it was relatively diverse, but I wanted to add to it. So that's what I did. I started adding more creators um, that normally wouldn't get the opportunity. And I think the thing with digital creator, it's such a new like atmosphere that people don't really understand. And management can end up being 
really rough and people have seen bad managers, people are taking advantage of them. So I didn't want to be that person. I wanted to make sure that I can get them to, you know, their North Star or whatever that may be. Um, and, you know, I didn't have the, you know, building blocks with the company that I was with to be able to build this career into what I want them to have. And, you know, that's where it all starts. If, you know, it all crumbles at the, you know, in the beginning, how are you going to make it any further than that? Yeah. Now, you know, it's something like, you know, TikTok or YouTube that's more, you know, social media organic, or how does somebody get a following or, or go viral? I mean, you know, casting or traditional entertainment industry has different gatekeepers, right. but with, you know, with digital, with newer digital media, is there less of that gatekeeper function where more diversity can shine through or, or diverse talent can find bigger audiences or, or do some of the, does like some of the deal making of like, you know, I don't know, sponsorships or um, different partnerships still kind of um, hold some people back where there's inequities? Yeah, I definitely see a lot more diversity and um, with issues when it comes to partnerships. So like, you know, we had some great talent, you know, non-binary folks, um, you know, that were black that never had the same opportunities as the white female that was just pushing beauty products. And she was doing the same thing that they were doing. Um, so you could definitely see that in the partnerships. But as for, you know, virality and getting, you know, famous that way, you still have the access to do it. The platform still provides that for you. It's just the actual companies that are coming through and paying these creators. Mm. Yeah. So, um, on that talent management side, I mean, was that kind of a parallel to kind of traditional, you think of, you know, agencies in, in Hollywood, like, you know, the big ones, CAA, if they're, you know, they're big, if someone like me has heard of. You know, <laughs> I mean, that of, is one of the biggest. So you got it. <laughs> the firms. Um, but um, I mean, is it so that that was, but is, is some of that just, um, you, you say it's very new, like, is it still kind of sorting out if like new newer players and talent management will um you know sort of dominate that new space or you know i wonder if some of the 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 more legacy firms start coming in i think there's going to be maybe like two to three boutique agencies that get to the point of like the caas um you know, there's a company, Waylar, that uh, they're ahead of the curve the way they are working. You know, they're implementing new tech. They're bringing in partners. Like, you, if you see that in a boutique, like, you see that they're going to succeed in the future. But, you know, smaller companies where they're not getting up as fast as running and, you know, kind of just taking in as many creators as they possibly can just to say that they have these people on their roster rather than actually servicing them, they're going to end up dying out because all of those creators are going to realize... I'm not getting anything from this management company. I might as well go to the A3s, the CAAs, you know, it doesn't make sense for them. Yeah. Um, so maybe one other question, you know, kind of about your story that you shared with us, you know, as we move, before we move on, like, it seems like there's this question of, was it a mistake to leave casting? Was it, mis was it a mistake to go into the digital talent management? And then maybe tell us a little bit more about kind of decision points of, going back, trying to go back into casting and, and get back in somewhere. And, and, and where was that? Or, you know, uh, other possibilities. Was there a door, door number three that mm -hmm. you were maybe thinking about? Yeah, it was, you know, when I had the ability to go, you know, I'm, I'm done with this and I ended up leaving. 
Um, it was it was a weird situation for me in that like I felt like I was giving up and not wasn't trying hard enough because I'm one of those people that are like, I'm gonna ride this out into the end. And even if it doesn't end up anywhere, like I hope, you know, I get something out of it. But I knew it wasn't servicing me anymore. So it was time for me to move on. And making that decision was tough, you know, sending in a letter of resignation. It was, it was just very formal that I'm not used to that kind of, you know, environment. So me moving and leaving was, you know, obviously one of the best decisions, but I learned so much. I learned so much about, you know, content creation. I learned about how managers work on that side. Um, It's a little bit different than traditional media. um, But I also have so much respect for these content creators that I didn't have before. They are working their butts off. Like they are producing, they are editing, they are filming it, they are directing it. And then they're putting an online line for these people to watch and they're doing pumping out content a lot faster than anyone in traditional media can ever do. Um, So that is something that I learned from that. And, you know, I don't look at that as a regret. That's Mm -hmm. why it's a, you know, favorite mistake. Yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And now, you know, getting back into casting, you know, I had to reach out to all my contacts and be like, Hey, I'm back. If you need me, Um, you know, I basically rebranded myself and, you know, I have my own company with my husband called Force Perspective. And we spent time really developing shows for, you know, underrepresented content creators, also, you know, developing new formats. Um, But we also spend time casting, you know, and that's stuff that I love to do. I'm doing some, you know, digital branding, but I'm also doing um, some, you know, unscripted stuff. So, With all of that said, I was able to kind of diversify who I was and create, you know, a better thing out of it, which is pretty great. (laughs) Well, and and that that's that is great. And that's that's what the show is all about. Like, I wouldn't want to do a show called My Biggest Regret. Like, (laughs) that would be sad. Right. So um, but, yeah, I'm glad there was some learning and that you were able to bounce back and, um, you know, that the industry didn't slam a door on you because you had. walked away. But maybe that that's transition point to, you know, I don't know, would an industry slam a door on you because you write, say, an open letter criticizing <laughs> or challenging things that need to be challenged? Um, could, could you tell us some of that story about your time with the Bachelor franchise and departing and writing that letter? And just real quick before you get into that, was that the last casting role before you went into digital man- talent management? No, okay. no. Okay, okay no. <laughs> okay. Um, so can, so, can you tell us what, what happened there? Yeah. So when I first started working at The Bachelor, it was, you know, rose-colored glasses. I was very excited to be able to work on such a huge franchise. Um, I was brought on for Rachel Lindsay season. So that alone, I was really excited because it was the first Black Bachelorette. Um, so I was like, finally, we get to see something that we haven't seen before, and I have the ability to work on it. Um, that season went over pretty, really well. Um, I didn't have really any issues within, you know, the staff um, or just how we were cast. And then I started to see things change about, you know, 
the next season and the season afterwards. Um, I was noticing that, you know, we were only casting a certain type of women. We wouldn't see um, women, especially Black women, unless they had straightened hair or they had weaves in. Um, and that was something that I would constantly bring up is like, why can't we see this one girl that has natural hair? Why can't we see? And they would just say it wasn't the, the Bachelor look. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I first heard of what the Bachelor look was, I took a moment to myself and I was like, what is that supposed to mean? And then, you know, put two and two together, it's not white enough. Um, And that alone really did not sit well with me. Um, Casting a show like that, um, just any dating show can wear on someone because you're literally spending all of that time just looking at what people look like. And that is tough for just, a, you know, and at that time I was in like my early twenties. Um, so, you know, that's, that's really, str- that was a tough moment for me, but, you know, I moved on, I continued to speak up and I was hit with a lot of microaggressions in the office. I was, you know, made fun of for what I was wearing. Um, someone told me that they wanted to dress like me for Halloween. Oh, boy. So it was getting it was getting to the point where I was like, I need to remove myself from the situation where until it, it's going to get bad. It's going to get really bad. Um, so I left and it was roughly about three years afterwards um, when they announced Matt James um, as the next Bachelor. And if you don't watch The Bachelor, Matt James was the first Black Bachelor, um, which is huge. Um, And I was absolutely terrified to hear that they were going to do that because if they were doing that to me behind closed doors, what are they going to do to him on a national stage? Um, They already embarrassed Rachel Lindsay um, with Lee, which was horrible. So what what, what happened then? What, 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 what? What yeah, happened? Rachel, what was yeah, yeah. So Rachel Lindsay had a guy named Lee on the season who came from a more of a racist background and was throwing a lot of racist things with on TV for everyone to see, which obviously embarrassed Rachel. Um, so if that's how they handled it the first time, how are they gonna handle it when they have a black bachelor? So real quick on that though, I'm, I'm I'm curious, you know, because the one thing I talked about with Zach Waddell, um, episode two fourteen, um, mm-hmm. he was on The Bachelorette um, years before you were involved with the show. Like this question of casting, you mentioned for appearance. I may imagine mm-hmm. a picture, still photos, some of the first screening. But then there's a, a question of personality, and I mean, I, I I'm asking you to guess, and maybe that's a mistake, but like. Are they trying to find people who would be a good fit for Rachel or are they looking for controversial characters, um, even if it's really racist and inappropriate in someone's case? I think every show always wants to have the quote unquote villain um, or just someone that will shake things up in this scenario right here I think this is the prime example of how casting can go wrong by spending time actually create getting people that would be a good fit for her but also thinking that race is funny um and that's why where it all went wrong because this could have been the opportunity to have a really poignant and amazing conversation about race and how it is to date interracially or just you know to just black love and they didn't do that instead they made a mockery of it 
And 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 you were the were you the only black staff I was the member only, from the show? Yeah. I was the only black casting uh producer in that office. Um there were other black folks that were in, you know, the uh, editing side, production side. Um, so there's actually one in the EP level, um, but for the I was the only one on the casting team. Yeah, but I guess, I guess it, there's there's a lesson there. Um, even if you're trying to put together a diverse cast, the producers, I mean, they really do a lot to help kind of move things along, and 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 whether it's you know final decisions on. Uh, choosing cast members or the things they do to maybe kind of stir up re- quote unquote reality um, mm-hmm. with, within the show. Um, I, I, you know, it goes to show how the, the, the makeup, I mean, this would be the true for uh, maybe the same thing with any big company. If, if the board of directors is not very diverse, they're going to have trouble relating to a diverse customer base and steering the company in a direction. Similar thing I'm guessing with a, with a TV show. Yeah, exactly that. Um, I think it's really important, which is what something that I do is I make sure my teams are fully diverse when I'm casting because you're going to have a much different experience than I'm going to have as a different experience. And we want to make sure we see all of that on TV. And I think that's where The Bachelor was falling short. Yeah. So I kind of interrupted your story. Um, Try to let you get back in. I'm, I'm curious then, like some of the, the the thought process that led to writing the letter, you know, kind of, and the, and the letter is available online. I can link to it, but, you know, if you can kind of give some highlights of the letter. And then I guess the associated question is like, did you, how much did you debate? Like, is it a mistake to send this out or not in terms of the reaction you would get, the impact it would have on the industry or your own career? Mm-hmm. When I wrote that, that was when Matt James was announced as The Bachelor. Um, I wrote from my feelings, I based on my experiences, but it also a call to action. I knew that they needed to change, and that was the only way that we were going to move forward. Um, so I wrote it up just like on my like notes app on my phone. Uh, and uh-huh. then, um, you know, I had my husband read it and I was like, do I post this? Is this something that I want to do? And he's like, just go for it. Like, I'm like, sure like oh, five you, people will see it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you might think, does it go too far? Does it not go enough? Or does it not go far enough? Yeah. A lot of back and forth with that. Um, and then I ended up posting it on my Instagram, which also then posted to my Facebook uh, lo and behold, I had uh, reporters following me and I didn't know that. So they picked it up um, and then kind of just went wild. But I once it started getting once I started getting emails from like different news sources and all this stuff, I was like, oh, no, did I just make a horrible mistake by posting about this? Because, you know, you never know what's going to happen with the news. Are they going to completely turn it? Are there uh, will I have the opportunity to actually speak? Um, so. Then I was like, okay, well, we're just going to go for it. We're going to see what's going to happen. This is my chance to speak my mind. And I spoke my mind. I was hit with some trolls, which is expected. Um, But for the most part, everyone was really, really receptive to everything that I said. And I had other people come forward too and said and share their stories while they were there. Um, So it ended up starting a conversation, I think, especially within like the casting community and also production and like, what can we do to move forward? Yeah. 
So it sounds like, I mean, yeah, you, you, you bring up topics like this and there's people that are going to come and just attack you. And I'm, I'm not looking to hear details. I'm sure there, some of the trolling, um, it's really ugly, but, um, it sounds like beyond, I mean, was that, is that, that's gotta be easier said than done. Basically like ignore the trolls or don't feed the trolls to focus on what you were really trying to influence or who you were trying to influence. Right. Right. I mean, the trolls are trolls. Like, there, you know, most of it was about like not everything is about race is usually what most of them were saying, and it's not about that. It's just about love. And, and I was just like, do you hear yourself? <laughs> like at the end of the day, the people that want the love are not being represented. Um, so you know, I just ignored that they even. I actually left them there. I didn't delete anything. Um, I feel like you know that was a moment in time. It was kind of like a snapshot in history. So it's weird to delete it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so then I, I remember, you know, there, I'll link to it, I think, in the show notes. There was a deadline.com article that printed the full letter um, as you had written it. And then there were some responses from, you know, a couple of the shows. And I mean, like, I don't know. To me, it sounded like lip service of just like, OK, we're going to put out a statement. We're fully committed to diversity. And blah, 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 but but OK, but so what? What was your reaction to their reaction? And am I mischaracterizing it from a kind of quick review of it? No, it's all good. It was um, it was a Band-Aid. Um, they just put it on there. They slap it on there and they said, eh, that's fine. We'll deal with it at another point. We have other things. We have other big fish to fry is what I felt. Um, I did end up having a meeting with, you know, the production company and we talked things out um, and about my experience there. I don't know if it ever turned into anything internally, because obviously I'm not there, so I don't know. But, you know, I told them my experiences there and how as a black woman, I shouldn't feel like that I am walking into a battlefield just by going into work every day. Mm, um, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, uh, the show Love Island, like I've barely heard of that show would you describe that quote-unquote you, dating it's definitely a dating show oh, um <laughs> it, it was how's the dynamic you know on on that show in terms of diversity and representation behind the scenes and in front of the camera yeah um overall a lot more diverse with the the cast and at least the season that i worked on um Definitely a lot more diverse with the cast, the production team. It was a lot more inclusive. Um, it was it was a lot of fun. The show is, you know, a whole bunch of people just dating to date rather than dating for love and like falling in love and getting married, um, which is sometimes nice to just turn your brain off TV. So that, <laughs> <laughs> that's Love Island for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, you know, my, my wife has been from the beginning a huge fan of the bachelor and the bachelorette she describes it the same way it's you kind of turn off your brain tv she's not in the sports so like there there's there's some parallels to football yeah you know because I mean, i'm kind of watching football the zone out and then you get into like the playoffs in a final four and the you know exactly. i mean there, there's like the the final show of a of a season that's like the Super Bowl. Exactly. That's a fantastic analogy. <laughs> so, but since she watches it, that means I I often get exposed to it, like unless I want to leave and go to another room and watch something different. I I I try giving it a chance and some seasons I get drawn in 
um, more than others. It's very intermittent. But like one thing, and I think you know, you, you talked about this in the letter of of the casting of you know a token black person, a token Asian person, and as a, a viewer, somewhat viewer of the show, it 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 seems like that, or it, com- it, it comes across that way. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of you know makes you think of like, well, how 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 does someone feel kind of you know are they just happy for the opportunity to be on the show even if I don't know if people come into it with the same sort of hope or expectations or if they come into it saying like well I might be a token representative of this group but at least I'm here yeah Oof, that sounds brutal when you say it that way <laughs> sorry <laughs> um I mean, I like especially the season that I work on, I felt like we were filling a quota rather than filling, you know, the people that deserve to be on the show um, and making sure that we can fully have a very like diverse group of people. Um, You know, having, you know, the quote unquote token person, like the one Asian person or the one um black person really doesn't give you like the diaspora of what people are and especially within that community and that's really what was really frustrating for me because it was like okay you're gonna have the one black girl there and then she's gonna have straight hair she's gonna be incredibly stick thin not everyone looks like that and same thing with the an asian woman or you know latina woman like you can't do that and that's I think every casting team, you know, needs to take a good look at themselves before they cast a show. And like, if they have the full team, you know, everyone laid out in front of them, can you say that you have a big diverse cast in front of you that you are proud of, or are you just succumbing to the easy thing where it's like, let's just put like 10 white people on because we know that they're going to be accepted. And there's gotta be a really tough dynamic of, um, you know, you're looking for contestants, who, I don't know if you can even ask, like, are you open to interracial dating? Because imagine what you don't want is a white bachelor in the first round sending home all the the, the women of color. Exactly. And it almost exactly. seems like, though, that there's pressure. This is one you wonder what, what a producer's doing. Like, you, you've got to keep, it's not even just like token entry into the show, but is it token survival? Yeah. It looks bad if you send all the black women home. Don't do that. Right, right. Um, you know, I don't know exactly what happens behind the the scenes with the producers and how they make sure that they have the diversity within it, but I'm sure they're talking to The Bachelor and asking, like, who are you interested in? Um, and then, you know, mixing and doing what they need to do. But um, that wouldn't happen if you have a very large cast of people that are very different from one another and you won't feel like you have to separate and be like, Oh, actually I don't want any of these types of people. I can have a whole mixture because you have no choice, but to have that mixture. Yeah. yeah. Um, so maybe a final question. I'm not going to try not to ask another question that sounds harsh. <laughs> um, but, you know, the timing of when um, I realize you had already left the show, the timing of when Matt James was announced as the first black bachelor was that, you know, the, and, and that was in the pretty immediate aftermath of George Floyd's murder. Yeah. Yeah. It was in 2020. Was I like, I'm just curious, the dynamic between, OK, finally, it's about time versus that seems like kind of a cynical 
time to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely my thought at first was, are you just doing it to do it? Because you feel like you have to, because what took you so long? How many seasons of The Bachelor have there been already where a lot of these guys look exactly the same? Um, So a lot of that went through my head. I know it's went through a lot of other casting people's heads and producers were all like, hmm. Um, But at the same time, you know, you want to celebrate it. You want to go, okay, yes, we finally have a Black Bachelor. How are they going to handle it? Um, And overall, I think they did okay. I think there were some times that they could have done it better, Um, especially, you know, having the conversation with his father and it felt like this stereotypical, like, dad that is never there, the Black father. Um, And, you know, that was a conversation that was not great. And then they also had, you know, Matt and, um, you know, the host, Chris Harrison, um, having the conversation about race in the beginning. And it felt like out of place because I was like, should a white guy be having this conversation (laughs) with Matt James? Um, But they tried and I understand that they were trying and we can only go from there. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we've been joined today again by uh, Jazzy Collins and um, maybe, well, one other I know you've done a lot of other things in your career. I'm sorry to um, it's all good. fixate on The Bachelor. But, you know, you talk about um, other dimensions here, uh, um, age. Like, would you have wanted to work on, quote unquote, The Golden Bachelor now that they have? How how old is is he? He's like 60? I think he's 75, I think. He's 75. I'm pretty sure he's in his 70s, yeah. Would you have wanted to work on that? I wonder how wonder how that's going. Um, well, I know it's fully cast. I think they're going to air it, I think in like the next week or so, but, um, you know, I, I look back at it and I go, would I have And honestly, no, I think the bachelor chapter has closed for me. Um, I think the format is a little tired and I would like to work on something new and fresh and fun. <laughs> yeah. The, the, it, and that's part of why I fade out on, I'm like, oh, okay. I've, I, I know the, di- like the dynamics are very, very. Um, similar, it seems, uh, from season to season. So let's talk about, you know, final question. What are you working on next? Like, what are you, what are you working on creating that that's, that's new and fresh? Yeah, I have a couple of fun stuff. So I have some food formats um, that I were currently taking out to pitch. So some like food shows. Um, we also have um, kind of a fun take on um, there's an LGBTQ plus side with Iyama Fix My Life. So it's a little fun um, format with that. We also have a slate of three underrepresented directors um, for features that we're also taking out. Um, And I'm about to start casting a new project um, the next couple of weeks. Uh, So if you're a Traders fan, it's very much in the vein of that. So so I'm doing a lot. (laughs) Having a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, If if somebody is looking to... um get cast on an unscripted program. And I imagine if, you know, gosh, if the writer strike uh, continues, there's probably going to be more and more unscripted. What, what advice or, or where, where, how does somebody even try to get into the fold of the casting decisions? Yeah. So if you are interested in being on any reality show, it's 
always great to start with one unscripted casting director on Instagram. We post all of our social media stuff there. We post all of our Instagram flyers. We post other friends' flyers. And then, then you can add another Instagram. Um, so, you know, you can follow me, Jazzy Casting, um, on Instagram. And then literally all of my friends that I, like, follow are also people that work in casting. Um, so you can just click through them and you can find a show, whether it's Survivor to The Circle to maybe the new show I'm working on. All right. Well, cool. Well, thank you. And I'm not asking, because I don't think that's not my future, but <laughs> somebody <laughs> listening. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Because um, I got Lee on the show for the circle. And that's not something that you expect, you know, to see on the circle. <laughs> well, um, you know, a uh, pun or corny uh, phrase alert. I'm going I'm to paraphrase one of the famous bachelor catchphrases and, and say, this has been the most jazzy episode ever. I love it. I'm a fan. <laughs> uh, not the most dramatic episode ever. Well, no, the most dramatic season. No, so okay. Yeah, did my best to modify. <laughs> you did a good job. All right. Well, <laughs> um, uh, you know, you, you got to make a mistake or two. <laughs> we all got to make a mistake to get to where we are today. So I'm all about them. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jazzy, uh, thank you for sharing your story. Um, I appreciate you know hearing. Um, you know, the different aspects of those decisions um, that, that you made and um, setting you know, a good example of, you know, we can bounce back from a mistake. So thank you for sharing all of that today. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. All right. Thanks. For links and more information about Jazzy, how you can subscribe to the podcast and rate and review, look in the show notes or go to markraven.com slash mistake 241. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work, and they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.